We're in part four of this Under Authority series. Tonight we're going to look at Rehoboam. That's Solomon's son. Two weeks ago, last time we were together, we looked at Solomon. Tonight we're going to look at his son. And some of these <clears throat> studies, like tonight, is probably one that's a little less known individual in the scripture, but God has a lot of practical wisdom to teach us through the discussion we'll have tonight. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity tonight to hear and to do, to respond. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of the comfort it brings that you want and desire to be known and that you want us to hear from you and to know you. And these things we talk about tonight help us to frame them in the context of realizing that we're having this conversation because you want us to have it, because you want us to know these principles and understand these things. And that is such an encouragement. So thank you for being so good to us, Lord. Will you give us ears to hear tonight, prepare hearts to receive that we might courageously respond by the things that we hear and that you get all the glory, honor, and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our, we'll start with a principle tonight. Now, if you do what you want to do, you're going to eventually arrive at a place you don't want to be. I think we all have known, interacted with people who have a tendency in their life to do the things they want to do. And we also know that that is a disaster, right? It's a disaster. In every sense of the word, um, we can try to, uh, you know, clean it up and try to spiritualize it and act like that's not the case, but... The truth is, is that I'd rather be taking a nap right now. There's a lot of things I've, that I would have loved to have done today, except for spend 10 hours studying this text. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but what I'm saying is, is that the truth of the matter is, is that inside of us is a broken desire meter. And so... When I say that I love studying this passage today, I did love studying this passage, but what made me love it is not that there's nothing else I would have, could have done or would have done, but because of who it is that I'm serving in doing that. See, apart from relationship, we're going to be a disaster. We're going to be a disaster. You see, the relationship is what bonds you to doing these right things. Apart from a relationship, you're not going to do that. And so when we interact with people who do the things they want to do, it is a disaster. It's a disaster because what, what, it, what is driving our wants? Our flesh. I mean, anyone in here who's raised children knows that the primary uh, mechanism of raising kids is 
thwarting that desire in children and teaching them that when you do what you want to do all the time, it's never going to work out. Now, let me give you a little simple historical background that's easy to remember and it's meaningful. When you think about the kings that have presided over God's people, we start with Saul, then we move to David, then we go to Solomon, and each of them is about 40 years. So you think 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. So Solomon ruled for how long? It's not a trick question. 40 years. This is going to be important in a minute. How long did Solomon reign for? 40 years. All right. So as Solomon comes to the end of his life, the assumption has always been that his son, Rehoboam, would be king. That's been Solomon's assumption. That's been Rehoboam's assumption. That's been everybody's assumption. But you see in 1 Kings 11 that there's a little confusion in this because we're introduced to this man named Jeroboam. Now, you know, God just likes to keep us on our toes. You know, it couldn't be, his name couldn't have been Fred. So when we're talking about Rehoboam, now we got to talk about Jeroboam. Just to, you know, Jeroboam in 1 Kings 11 was a balance those two words out all night. The man Jeroboam in 1 Kings 11 was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. So Jeroboam, a lot of people... I don't have any idea why. I hear people say this all the time, that Solomon had two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. They're not brothers, and Jeroboam is not Solomon's son. He is uh, the son of a widow. His father died sometime early in his life. We're not really sure what happened with that. So he grew up uh, taking care of his widowed mom, which made him highly responsible, made him grow up faster. He was very industrious. His mom was a Ammonitess, the Bible says. So she was a descendant of Lot and his youngest daughter and that whole twisted disaster that you can read about in the book of Genesis. So she, he grew up with a mom who was an Ammonite. You got that? Okay, so that's Jeroboam. So he's placed in this extraordinarily big position. Now, under Solomon, Solomon had 160,000 laborers, stone cutters, laborers. And because he, he was in, like we said two weeks ago, these massive building projects all the time. And so Jeroboam... This young man was placed in charge of 160,000 people. Just think about that for a second. I mean, this was a, this was a big job. And he was very, very powerful. Okay, verse 29. Now, it happened in time that Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem and that the prophet Ahijah, the Shinonite, met him on the way and he had clothed himself in a new garment. And the two were alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of the Lord, 
uh, out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, which would be the tribe of Judah, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me. So, so what happens is, I need you to think with me for a second now. The prophets have been prophesying that if the people of God didn't turn, bad things were coming, right? The Assyrians are coming. The Babylonians are coming. All of this stuff is going to happen. They didn't listen. And so God, because you would ask yourself, why is God sending a prophet to tell the son of an Ammonite that he's going to give him tw- ten tribes? Because this is all in accordance with the judgment that God has been speaking to his people and they refuse to listen. So this is all just going according exactly to the plan that God has laid out. So Jeroboam realizes, okay, according to God, I am going to rule over ten tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel. So we know Benjamin ends up staying in the south with Judah and the other ten tribes go to the north and become Israel. Okay? So after hearing this, what do you think Jeroboam's, you know, what what would be a smart thing to do in this situation? Because this isn't unique. He would have known historically that somebody had been in a very similar situation. So they were called to lead before they actually led. And so he had a perfect model in David to follow. But Jeroboam was not the smartest guy, not a good leader, made a lot of mistakes. And so what he does is he takes this information, rebels against Solomon. Well, that's a mistake. So what do you think Solomon does? Immediately tries to kill him. Look at verse 40 of chapter 11. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt. So before the Shishak, there was apparently a Hebrew Shishak. And was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So he's hiding in Egypt until Solomon dies because, you know, it just... It's just a little, we're not talking about Jeroboam, but, you know, God tells you this is what's going to happen. So what does he do? Forces the issue instead of doing like David did. Remember, David had great patience in following God and waiting for God to orchestrate the transition of power. Right? All right. So Solomon dies. At the time of Solomon's death... Rehoboam, his son, was 41 years old. How long did Solomon reign? So what do we know about Rehoboam? He was born to an Ammonite woman before he became king. So some of you can dig deeper after tonight and you can go into that little mystery because it's really, uh, there's some interesting things about that that we won't have time to get to so first kings 12 tells us the story of rehoboam now that you understand what's going on in the backdrop jeroboam's been run out of town so rehoboam 
Solomon dies, Rehoboam goes to Shechem. For all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Everybody wants him to be king because everybody loves Solomon and he's Solomon's son. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard it. He was still in Egypt for he had fled there from the presence of King Solomon. That they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam saying, So now Jeroboam comes. Remember, this guy's powerful. He was over 160,000 people. So people respect his leadership. And so he shows up and this huge assembly comes with him. And they go to Rehoboam and they say, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Okay? So nobody knows the difficulty that Solomon uh, placed on the people better than Jeroboam because he was in charge of the workers, and he was the one that had to keep up with this incredible schedule of building. There was, you know, there was lots of taxes, lots of... So was Solomon loved? Yes. He was loved because he brought great splendor to uh, God's people. But it was hard to live under Solomon because he demanded a lot. But they loved him anyway, and they endured the 40 years of struggle. But they were tired when he died. And so they're like, look, Rehoboam, we need a break. So Rehoboam said to them, Depart for three days and then come back to me. And the people departed, which is a smart move because, you know, important decisions take time, right? So then King Rehoboam, so he's already king. People have just, it's a foregone conclusion that he's king. He consults the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he was still alive. And he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? These men that he's asking had served under his father, and so they had great perspective because they not only served under Solomon, but they also knew things that Solomon didn't know and had dealt with things they sort of had knew the pulse of what the people were going through. And so he seeks their wisdom. And they said to him in verse 7, If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. So if you'll serve them, they will serve you. So what basically the elders say is, if you will model servant leadership, which is God's call always, place other people's interests before your own, which is God's call always, see, which is why I didn't take a nap today. It's because I know that you need this, so I put you ahead of me. See how that worked out? Right. I just want you to see that. Okay. And, you, and if you do so, you'll rule over a united kingdom as your father did. I mean, the, the reward is tremendous. I mean, the, the kingdom has never been in a better situation to be handed off to somebody. I mean, they're loaded with money, loaded with power, loaded. I mean, everything's just good. Verse 8. But he rejected the advice of the elders that the elders had given him, and he consulted the young men who had, who had grown up with him who stood before him. Not such a good move. So he gets his high school buddies, 
And he says, well, what do you think? And he said to them, verse 9, what advice do you give? How should we answer these people who have spoken? Lighten the yoke that your father has put on us. And then the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you should speak to the people who have said these things. Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it light on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. I would love to translate that for you in Hebrew, but it is, suffice it to say, that is an X-rated statement right there, okay? Got that? All right. That's what they said. Verse 11, and now, so we can be thankful for our English translators in that. Verse 11. And now, whereas my father has put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. Chastise you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So they say, hey, you ain't seen nothing. I'm gonna, we're going to make it way worse. That's their counsel. Now, good counsel is both instructive, corrective, and it requires frankness, not flattery. This is why so many people avoid good counsel to their doom. Because people don't want to hear instructive, corrective things that are frank and not flattery. Now, when I talk about this, I always advise you that when you're giving somebody hard counsel you should always start with something good positive but it has to be true it can't be flattery because flattery doesn't fall into that category so if I'm if I'm going over to somebody's house and I'm about to have a very hard conversation with them one of the things that I've been thinking about and praying about is Lord help me help me with some what is true and what is positive and what is affirming that we can start with. Because you don't just come in and start swinging. But it's not flattery. And, you know, if there's nothing true, then guess what? There's nothing true. You know? So Jeroboam and all the people come to Rehoboam on the third day. They're ready to hear what he's going to say as the king directed then the king answered the people roughly, and he rejected the advice of the elders that the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scourges. So he repeats exactly what his buddies have told him. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word. Now, first of all, it sounds like when you're reading this that we're talking about somebody who became king at 22. But we're not. That's why I don't wanted you to know that he's 41 years old. So a 41-year-old man who has friends who speak the way his friends speak, tell you a whole lot about the kind of person Rehoboam is. Right? Just by what they say and the way they say it. 
So you already realize that you know it's absurd for somebody who has grown up with a father who's the wisest man who ever lived and who's 41 years old and who has associations with people who speak this way and considers them uh, part of his inner circle. So this would all lead us to, obviously we can see that this is going to be a disaster. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. You can see that for a number of reasons. Number one, God's already prophesied what's going to happen. Now, he's prophesied what's going to happen doesn't mean that he forced everyone to he prophesied with full knowledge of what everyone was going to do, right? So this, he hasn't violated anybody's free will. He knows what Rehoboam's going to do, and therefore he, and plus he's already prophesied that these things are going to happen. And so just, you know, don't cross the train tracks. Man has free will. God has perfect knowledge and those two things exist simultaneously they don't interfere with each other and they don't cross each other out they work in perfect harmony amen okay let's talk about counsel because that's really what is the practical uh, takeaway from this whole disastrous story so if we're going to talk about counsel we need to talk about what counsel is what do the wise and godly people who love me say about this decision? That, that would be the way that I would understand practically when you're seeking counsel, then that's how you should understand what you're looking for. Now, there's a lot of irony in this situation um, because I want you to understand something. Rehoboam is not just a complete moron. He has friends that are complete morons. But he has listened to his father. Because he, as soon as he takes the throne, he seeks counsel. He's the one that asks the elders, hey, what's, you know, he's the one that, that you know, brought people in to seek counsel. So, he learned this from Solomon. Now look at these proverbs. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Where there's no counsel, the people fall, but the multitude of counselors, there will be safety. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with well advised, those well advised in wisdom. Without counsel, plans go awry, but with a multitude of counselors, they're established. Now, if you read through the book of Proverbs, the, the one overarching reality that you're going to take away from the book of Proverbs is not all the things in there that are wise, which they are amazing. And it's not all the nuances, of it, but the overarching sort of just leaves me speechless every time I read through Proverbs is this. God obviously wants you to know more than you want to know. Because 
The book of Proverbs is just is like this loving parent continually, page after page after chapter after chapter, just pleading with those he loves to listen. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Listen to how I'm trying to warn you. Listen to how I'm trying to advise you. These things are good. These things aren't good. These things are pleasing. These things are not pleasing. I mean, it's just over and over and over. And so the thing is, why is all that there? Because God loves us. That's why it's there. And He wants us to know. And so when, you, when you're seeking wisdom, understand something. We oftentimes feel like our desire for, like we desire wisdom and we're coming to God going, God, please show me wisdom. Please give me wisdom. This is why the, the New Testament teaches about wisdom, that he will, he will dump it on you by the truckload if you seek it. There's no, there's, that the Bible goes out of its way to paint a picture of a God who so delights to give his people wisdom. He is so willing to give wisdom. He wants us to know more than we want to know. So when you want to know, know it's our, when, when I go to God for wisdom, I, I know it's already there. He's been waiting for me to come to him. You know, I'm not coming to him. He's like, oh, now you want what? I mean, he's been waiting, waiting, waiting. And oftentimes what you find when you seek wisdom from God is that sort of our response to the situation is we feel like, wow, it was, it was right there. Because it was right there. Because God's putting it right in front of us. Because he loves us. Now let me show you something about wisdom. Look at, we're going to go back to 1 Kings 3. So Solomon, remember the first time God appears to Solomon? And, he's, and so he asks Solomon, what do you desire? Therefore, Solomon says, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. So he asks for wisdom. He wants to discern between good and evil, Right? And then in 1 Kings 11, so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. So what does that teach us? That's very important. God gave Solomon what he asked for. And God commended him for the choice. So Solomon possessed it. And yet Solomon ends very poorly. So this is how we get our understanding of wisdom. That it's more than knowledge, but it's truth applied. You see, what we know from Scripture is that Solomon never encountered a situation in his life ever where he didn't know what? Good and evil, right? That, he never encountered a situation 
where he didn't know that. But yet he went way off the rails. So he went off the rails knowing good and evil. I've never met a new covenant Christian. I've never met a person filled with the Holy Spirit that went off the rails and didn't know good from evil. And you haven't either. So see, maybe think of it this way. Content without conviction leads to self-deception. See, self-deception will trump your information all day long. It'll, it'll, it'll squish your, your understanding into the ground all day long. So the, the goal is not to, to uh, you know, push self-deception out of the way. The goal is don't be self-deceived in the first place because it's powerful. It's powerful. Self-deception will get you. So if a decision has significant implications, we should not limit ourselves to our own judgment, but we should also seek the, pers the perspective of mature and godly people who have wisdom and experience. Because here's the thing. Guess what thwarts self-deception? See, listen, if, if I'm self-deceived and I come to you, you're not self-deceived. And you're, you may be self-deceived somewhere, but you're not self-deceived in myself. So what happens, what, what you got to understand is you, you can know the difference between right and wrong up here. But this is why counsel is so important. Because when you, when you seek counsel, it will crush self-deception. The only way it won't is if you seek bad counsel. That's the antidote to self-deception. Counsel. So the principle would be, when the only people who have access to us are people who need you or want something from you, you're in a very dangerous place. Because you have no capacity or ability to get good counsel. Because that thwarts good counsel. They're not, they can't respond rightly to you. Because they're jaded. See, it, it negates what we said earlier. It's not going to be, it's not going to be corrective. It's not going to be instructive. It's not going to be with, with frankness and not flattery. So whether that's in your marriage, whether that's with your finances, whether that's professionally, whether that's academically, whether that's spiritually, whether that's relationally, whatever that is, listen, you got to get out of your head. You got to get out of your head. Why do you think that we, we just 
over and over, we just are bemoaning the, the desire of our hearts as a church that you would be involved in a D group where you were transparent and open and honest. This is the exact reason why. Because how are, how are we going to navigate through these? Listen, th- think of how insane this is. Basically, when you keep your mouth shut and, and keep your business to yourself, which is the way you think of it, but it's self-deception. Do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm wiser than Solomon. That's what you're saying. Now, how absurd is that? If you don't need counsel, that's what you're saying. You see how strong that is? Listen, Solomon went down in flames. I mean, I'm talking about it was a fiasco. And his legacy, fiasco. David, on the other hand, had some very public and, you know, big failures. And yet, the opposite is true. And when you look at David's life, the difference between David's life and Solomon's life. Remember when, uh, you know, I preached about Solomon two Wednesday nights ago. And then the following Sunday, I preached a sermon about David. And the whole sermon about David was about what? Boy, that'll encourage a pastor right there. Nobody knows? Well, this is recorded so they can hear the dead silence in the room. Community. Is there any mention in the Bible of Solomon's community? David's whole life was surrounded by people who loved him. Solomon, on the other hand, no, the people that surrounded him, look at how they talked. He didn't have community. And he was the wisest man who ever lived. So let's just, uh, you know, I mean, when, when, I, when I enter into, you know, your situation, I'm grateful to be able to do that at whatever place there is, you know, because it's better than not at all. I'm grateful for that. But when I ask questions like, well, you know, who have you talked to? And I get responses like, well, no one. Why? Nobody? It's not like the day this started or the day you found out about this or whatever, that you thought that this wasn't going to be a big deal. You knew this was going to be a big deal, yet you didn't talk to anybody. That's insanity. Insanity. Or then you get, you know, well, who did you talk to? Well, my friends. Okay. By friends, we mean what, you know, let's be more specific. Your friends like Rehoboam did? 
Which, you know, you, you shouldn't even have friends like that. Because he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of Rehoboam's friends is destroyed. So why? So what, let me just, I'm going to just be as simple and straightforward as possible. Like this is just A, B, C. This is what you do. Exactly. Word for word. Who should we ask? Because sometimes, you know, people say, well, I, I just didn't know. Okay. Well, let's make sure that we all know. First of all, someone who has nothing to gain and nothing to lose by telling me the truth. See, because if I say... What normally somebody would say, well, you should, you know, it, it's, not, it's not helpful. If I say, well, you should just ask somebody that's like real, you know, biblically smart. Well, a lot of times people think people are biblically smart who aren't. You know, did you ever notice that in the Bible, whenever the Bible calls the people of God to, uh, to you know, choose leaders to ordain people into the ministry. Have you ever noticed the Bible never says choose for yourself people who are filled with knowledge? It never says that. Choose people who know the Bible backwards and frontwards. It never says that. What does it say? Every single time the qualification for leadership is filled with the Spirit of God. you got to find people who are full of the Spirit of God. If they don't have the Spirit, if they're not full of the Spirit, then you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. There's lots of false teachers who got lots of information. And so, and that can trick people up. So that's why I'm giving you things you can, I'm thinking this is like practical, street level. Question number one, you ask yourself, do they have anything to gain or anything to lose? And then all the people that do, out. Then number two, someone who is where you want to be in life. That's going to sort out your situation right there. So if you are, let's suppose that you're seeking. So now, if you know that somebody's full of the Spirit of God, then it's going to trump everything. All right? But a lot of times, I don't, I don't know why. That's a sermon for another day. Maybe we should, I should talk about this. But people get confused by that. So this is what I'm saying. If you're, if you're looking for marriage advice, then you need to talk to somebody who has a marriage like one you would like to have. You don't seek financial advice from somebody who's a, a fiasco. So there, God fills our lives with people who, and, and th the reason why I'm saying it this way is because that's one of the things that early on in my life, and I've told you this over and over and over and over and over, 
that I utilized because I didn't know how to do anything. But here's the thing. These are things that I can see. I can see them. Now, it's not like I can't be deceived, but the thing is, is why would I be deceived? In other words, I'm looking at things. The first person, that, remember when, I'm, when I told you this story when I was, uh, was a couple of months ago. I can't even remember what we were talking about. But when I was talking about uh, trying to figure out how to be a husband, and so I'm looking around. I'm a new Christian. I don't know 10 people's names in the church. And, and nobody talks to me because everybody's afraid of me. And I understand. And, but I need some help. And so i got to find somebody to help me. So what do you do when you don't know anybody and you don't? It's not rocket science. I literally would watch out those glass doors on that building. I got baptized the last time we were in that building over there. The, we're, we're in this building over here. I'm looking out those glass doors. And all that parking lot was nothing but gravel. And all this was gravel. And I would watch the cars pull up. And I would watch. And I'd see. And, and I, I noticed there was this one couple of, of older, these older, this older couple. And every time they came up, you know, he would get out and he would open the door for her and he would hold her hand and they'd walk in holding hands and like he would carry her little Bible case. And I could just tell by the way he was so in love with her. And so I just walked straight up to him and said, hey, I'm Tony. And he was like, and I said, could we hang out sometime? I mean, are you, or is it important to you or not? I mean, I don't care. You think I care? I'm trying to, I got to figure out how to be a husband. I don't care what anybody thinks. You see what I'm saying? Like what we're, all these issues, we're worried about this and that. And I mean, forget that. Like, look, if you're, if you don't know what you're doing with your kids, what are you going to just sacrifice them on the altar of the world because you're too doggone proud to go to somebody and go, I'm having problems. Help me raise my kids. And if they won't, go to somebody else until you get there. Like at what point is it too embarrassing, too hard, too for your children? You see what I'm saying? Like counsel. It, counsel matters. It is, this is life or death. It's not a game. Like if it seems, why does it seem odd to just walk up to somebody and go, I, need, I want to spend time with you. That should not be weird. That should be normal in a church. It should be normal. So that's who. Then when you figure out the who, what do you ask them? Because, you know, I've been in this situation thousands of times. And so I know how this goes. And you do too. You just don't like to admit it. But you, we all know how this goes. What we do is when we identify the who, when we get to the what, we come in hot with all our information. See, here's the situation. Like, you know, I, I want... I need some advice with this problem. So let me give you the backstory, which is code for let me taint 
your mind with my perception, especially if it's relational. I don't care if you're the most godly person in the world. If you talk to a, a wife and not a husband or a husband not a wife, they're both lying. Everybody's lying. You're lying. You got to be both in the room at the same time or you're lying. So every single time you've ever told me something about your spouse and they weren't there, in my mind I'm going, you're lying. <laughs> you just are. You're, you're tilting. You know what I mean? It's not just the pure, unadulterated facts. And so get away from, you know what? If somebody's full of the Holy Spirit, if somebody knows if, you're, if you've chosen the right person, they don't need all the backstory. They don't need all that. You can walk straight up to them and just lay it out, boom, 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 and they can say, they won't need more information. They'll either answer your question, they might say, give me a couple of days to pray about it, whatever, but they're not going to need a whole, you know what I mean? You're just, it's too, you're just trying to scam people. That's what it is. So here's what you should ask. Number one, are any of these options I'm considering outside the bounds of Scripture? See, that's important information. Like, here's the problem, and then here are the possible solutions that I've identified. Because I'm always going to ask this question. Well, so what are you thinking? Because that's going to give me a bearing on where you are. So what are the possible solutions? So what you want to know is, here's my problem. I can do this, this, or this. And the first thing I need to know, let's just clear the water. We don't even need to have a conversation about anything. If something needs to be off the table, let's get it off the table. Right? So that's the first clearing house to start weaning down to where we need to be. Number two, what's the wise thing for me to do? Because most of the time, once you pass number one, you're not going to be in a black and white situation. Most of the time, because it's just most of the time it's not thus says the Lord, thou shalt not, and end of story. You know what I mean? It's, it's not that simple. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure something out. It's important. You know, I'm trying to figure out how do I deal with this situation with my kids? How do I make this decision about, about their education? Or how do I make this decision about their, you know, care going forward? Or how do I make this decision about my marriage? You know, this is, um, how do I address this? Should I address this? Should I be patient? Should I not be? Here's what I've done. Here's what I haven't done. You know, the, these are all, you know, it's, so what's the wise thing to do in this situation? That's, that's what the Bible would have us to ask once we've just looked at what's out of bounds. And then, because we've chosen well, because everything hinges on the who. Really, you could just ask this question. Forget everything else. You can just, this is the question right here. What would you do if you were me? That is the question. If I feel 
You see, if I didn't feel confident about who I was talking to, well, then I wouldn't be talking to them. So once I'm confident in who I'm talking to, this is the question right here. What would you do if you were in my situation? And almost always, the response is, well, you know, either I've been in that situation or here's, here's how this worked in my life. And clarity comes. And it could be that you're talking to a wise person full of the Spirit, who says, you know, as a young believer, I didn't respond rightly here, and I went in a ditch, and it cost me a couple years, or it hurt me, or I suffered some consequences from this. And so either way, it's still the same value. What would you do if you were me? This just shouldn't be hard. It really should not be hard. The fact that pride gets in the way of this is just so absurd. How in the world do we profess to be followers of Jesus with all of his word at our disposal, all of this encouragement that God wants us to know, he wants us to know, he wants us to know. That wisdom is right there and that we just we just go our own way. We're just Solomon. It's such a shame. And so many times it's about people and situations and circumstances that we dearly dearly care about. And so if somebody walked up to you and said, you know, I don't feel like you I don't feel like you're really committed in your marriage, you would be so offended. Or if they said, you know, I don't feel like you really love your kids, you'd be so enraged. And yet you don't ask for wisdom. And remember something. Most wisdom comes, you know, how to, what is God's mechanism for making wisdom available to us? You're not, what, what does the New Testament teach? You're not, you're not looking for perfect people. You're looking for people who bear the scars. See, the Bible tells us that when we go through painful situations, that God allows us to go through that pain for what purpose? So that we can help other people walk through that pain. So you see, so what I'm saying to you is that, look, you know, I mean, if, if you know, what, what, ha what happens if, uh, I mean, just this is a simple illustration of this, but suppose that, your spouse abandons you. They just walk out. You know, just, you come home one day, there's a note, and they're gone, and that's it, and boom, it's, you know, they, they left you. You're Charles Stanley. She's gone. There's nothing you can do. So you end up divorced, not by any 
you, you just, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's, okay. So if you, if you wind up in that situation, who, who would you go to to say, how do I deal with this? You would go to somebody who's been through a divorce, somebody who's been through this bitter, terrible, nasty situation, but who has endured and come through on the other side. You see, pain. So pain is the mechanism that this, so what your pain oftentimes, because, and isn't it interesting how, how God made us, we, that some, you know, the negative things we think about ourselves are actually things that God put on us positive. Misery loves what? Now, you don't see the good in that? Because I see the good in that. See, that's, that's like a biblical principle of good. If you apply it correctly. When, when you're broken in pain, you know what? You want to find somebody who is, bears that scar. They can help you. They can help you. You're not looking for perfect people. And then remember, you know, as you're, as you're thinking about, you know, we don't, we don't want to get into this situation. So how do we not get into this situation? I mean, how do we not end up where, like if we all leave tonight and we say to ourselves, I'm committed that if I get in a ditch, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to ask them to, to help me. I'm going to seek counsel as to how to get out of that ditch, okay? That's great. But what's better is we don't want to get in the ditch in the first place, right? And so we need to remember every disaster starts with one single decision. It's just one single decision. So the way that you... You, uh, the way a person's proactive about this whole conversation of counsel is, is if I'm walking with, that's what the Bible uses for terminology of doing life with. So if I'm doing life with people who love me and are willing to be honest with me and instructive with me and frank with me and and. They love the Lord and they're full of the Spirit and they're, okay, as I'm walking in that direction, then there, there's a mechanism that's at work there that's keeping me on the path. That, that if I make that one single decision that starts leading in the other way, I already know. See, some of you right now are in a really good place because what you're thinking to yourself is you know that you are in a community of people such that if you step out of the bound, you know there are people in your life, instantly you're like, I would hear about that. That's going to be a conversation, right? What a blessing that is. That's a gift from God because it will understand that it's one step that leads to catastrophe. So we're not just, just going to goof around until we get to the, the cliff. We're not going to walk down and peer over it. 
You know how I know I'm not falling off that cliff? Because I'm not walking down there and looking over it. As long as I stay up here, I can't fall off it. And so what I want is people who are going to help me stay up here. And I want to be in community with people and I'm helping them stay up here. So it's just one decision. So here's what happens. This kingdom, okay, the, the prophet rips his garment up in, ten, in 12 pieces and then he gives 10 to Jeroboam. This is all just illustrative of, all of this is just a, a picture of, you know, the reality of what happens in our lives is that when we're divided, it leads to weakness. Divided is the same as isolated. So the kingdom gets divided, it becomes weak. Families get divided, they become weak. People get divided, they become weak. And then weakened people, that leads to vulnerable people. When you're weakened, you're vulnerable. Why? Well, I mean, because you're weak. And what happens when you're vulnerable? When you're vulnerable, you become invadable. And when you're invadable, you end up in slavery. You know how every person who's ever ended up enslaved to sin, some sin in their life, got destroyed by something, had to recover from something? It all started because they got divided. Listen, you've never met a person. You don't know of a situation where a person surrounded by the right kind of community ended up in slavery. You've never seen that happen, nor have I, nor will you. What we see is, we see the first step is always dividing. It's always dividing. Sin always divides. It always fractures. And so it peels apart the relationship. It peels apart. It divides things. It moves somebody out to the fringe. And once they get out there, they become vulnerable. And then they're invadable, and that always leads to slavery. And so listen, when, whenever you think to yourself, it's not anybody's business, you're right. It's not their business. You make it their business. Make it their business. See, when I walked up to that man that morning, it, my marriage was not his business, but I made it his business. It's your job to make it someone else's business all you're doing is affirming truth when you say well it's not their business that's the problem if it's just your business that's the problem right there that's the problem the bible teaches that private decisions have public consequences it's always that way isn't it that one decision that starts in secret or maybe one or two people know about and then it goes down, 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 but it always leads to a disaster that... And so think about this. 
it goes full circle. How is it that what, what refrains us from applying everything I've said tonight is pride, is what other people are going to think. And when you don't do this, the very thing that ultimately ends up is everybody knows anyway. Do you see how ridiculous that is? You know, Ezekiel was a uh, Ezekiel was a very popular speaker. He was an incredibly gifted preacher. And when he spoke, he spoke with amazing, eloquent words. He's like, you know, the opposite of Jeremiah and Amos. And Ezekiel was like, a, was like a, a poet. And people loved to hear him speak and loved to hear him pray and loved. I mean, they, they just marveled at the things he said. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 33, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of their houses, and they say to one another, each to his brother, Come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, and, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their hearts are set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. You see, the warning here is that regardless of what you do with the truth that you hear, that truth is coming to bear on your life. Your response to what you hear has no bearing on the fact and the truthfulness and the exactness that God is going to execute what he says, right? And so the, the, the people are listening and hearing and they want to hear and they love to hear and they love to listen and they love, but they don't do anything. They don't do it. And God's response is, you're going to know. The day is going to come and you're going to know that God means what He says. And so on a night like tonight, you, you have to realize that, you know, I've given you a lot of practical wisdom and a lot of very simple, basic things that you can apply. But they're not going to do you any good. If you don't do it. 
And I think what God wants you to know tonight is that if you ignore it, you will crash up against it. The moment will come when you look back and go, it was true. It was God. So remember that in the context of this whole thing we're talking about, counsel, don't forget that our ultimate counsel comes from the precepts and the principles of Scripture, not man. Everything hinges on what God says. There is no human being that's so godly or close to God that they speak and their words supersede that of Scripture. The only words that 100%, absolutely, positively, every time are going to come to bear is true are God's words. So I hope you're encouraged tonight to use these things and to make them a reality in your life. And if, you know, it may, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But what's that got to do with it? 